0: On the 12th day of March, 2015, 600 men, women, and children climbed aboard a Boeing 747-400, taking off from London Heathrow's airport, headed to Dubai International. It's a long journey from London to Dubai, seven hours. People were settling in for a fairly arduous but comfortable trip. Seated among them were doctors, lawyers professionals, business people, teachers, at least one politician, a uh, town councillor for Hertzmere in the UK. Shortly after takeoff, it became apparent that there was a problem. They attempted to solve this issue as quickly as possible. They found that they could not. For the safety of the crew and the passengers and everyone on board, after 30 minutes, they turned back and landed again at London Heathrow. You see, someone, shortly after the plane took off, went into the restroom at the rear of the plane and made an incredibly horrible duty. An expulsion of human waste so horrifying, so awful, that the plane was forced to turn around and go back home. That's right, we're talking about a poop. The people on board were apparently overcome with nausea. This one person had created a stink so powerful it was threatening to overwhelm the plane. The pilot took the extraordinary step to call the entire senior cabin crew into a bathroom to see if they could deal with, and I quote, the liquid fecal excrement that was causing the overwhelming smell. Because once that smell is permeated, there's no getting rid of it. A Boeing 747-400 is a large, very expensive aircraft. We're talking about something worth $250, $300 million. Over 50% of the air on board is recycled, no matter how long the flight goes on. That means once that stink gets in there, it's never getting out. And it wasn't just the smell. So much matter had been deposited into the restroom that the toilet was overflowing they couldn't physically get rid of it all they didn't have the cleaning equipment necessary which makes you wonder all sorts of things about the human being that committed what vice would later call that toilet crime when they landed at heathrow the people on board were allowed out Went out in a rush, and I cannot imagine the relief of that first person who got off of the plane. Can you imagine being trapped in a confined space with the same awfulness just being recycled minute after minute after minute, somehow getting more powerful with every shuddering gasp that you take? You can't escape from it, it's everywhere. You're trapped, and if you were to complete that journey to Dubai, You know that 90% of the people on board are going to be vomiting into those fun little bags they put next to the safety instructions in the seat back in front of you. Knowing that you're out of that situation, even if it's a huge setback, even if it's 15 hours until the next flight, as it was for the people on this particular British Airways flight, even knowing it's going to be 15 hours, you have to think getting out of that situation is the ultimate relief. That's how I imagine Sean Spicer feels right about now. This is the show. Bye, bye, birdie. I'm gonna miss you so. Bye, bye, birdie. Why'd you have to go? Bye, Welcome. Republican in exile, a half-hour exercise in self-torture, where I, your deeply dedicated and defiantly deranged host, attempts to struggle through another week of terrible noise that bleats out of Washington like a 40-story boombox playing Coldplay remixes produced by a 14-year-old dubstep enthusiast. I'm Matthew Hedge, and this week we're going to be going over a series of really repulsive events. That have left me oh so frustrated and caused me to drink heavily. Speaking of which, this week I am drinking a champagne substitute that was produced in New Mexico called Gruit. I think that's how it's pronounced. It's supposed to be a brute. It's way too sweet. It's kind of repulsive. It's making me um, sick to my stomach, which is par for the course of this show. Oh uh, boy. The song you are valiantly attempting to ignore in the background is the opening and closing themes from Bye Bye Birdie. The song is a loving and obsessive tribute to an Elvis Presley-like figure who is heading off to join the army to fight the communists. And his young female fans just can't seem to let him go. I'm gonna miss Sean Spicer so are you. He was amusing, even if he was a a really awful person. (laughs) He was terrible. Uh, I'm gonna miss him. For those of you who are just joining us for the first time this week, I was once a loyal member of the Republican Party, and uh, then Donald Trump got elected president, and well, no, that's not an option. So I have been forced into the Democratic Party, where I stumble around blindly, like a drunk man in a dark apartment who can't find the light switch because he should have stopped three whiskeys ago. Every week I do a rundown of this week's horrors, followed up by the outrage of the week, the thing that's made me the angriest. I give you a little bit of good news, and then uh, I try and make you look smart. Song's coming to an end, so, uh, well, let's launch right into it, shall we? This week's horrors. Sean Spicer, much-parodied press secretary, is gone now. He has resigned, and he will no longer be gracing us with Melissa McCarthy-worthy performances where he lies through his teeth repeatedly about things the president has obviously said, which Spicer claimed he did not say. I'm going to miss the guy. His enormous potato face made the whole thing seem, well, just a little bit more like a joke and not the terrifying nightmare from which I cannot ever awake. Spicer has resigned in protest. Now I know what you're thinking what finally got him was it the russia thing obvious corruption the fact that the president has a third grade level understanding of how the government works nepotism talking about women inappropriately the failure of the health care bill uh five billion other things that might be no 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 wasn't any of those things. It was the fact that someone he didn't like got promoted to essentially be his boss. I'm talking, of course, about Anthony Scaramucci. Scaramucci, the new White House communications director, has never worked in the political field before, much like the president. He was once a Democrat, much like the president, and I kind of hate him, much like the president. Scaramucci once was a national fundraiser for Barack Obama, and then switched over to work for Mitt Romney, and then after failed flings with Scott Walker and Jeb Bush, he signed on with Donald Trump's political campaign by joining the Trump Finance Committee. His ascension to White House Communications Director is seen as a triumph of one of the four great factions of the Trump White House. This is important for everybody to understand. There isn't one centralized power in the Trump White House. The president is not a centralized power leading a unified group. No, there appear to be four distinct factions within the Trump administration. The first and most powerful at the moment appear to be the New Yorkers. This faction is led by Ivanka Trump and her husband Jared Kushner. Includes Gary Cohn, leader of the president's economic council, and Dina Powell, deputy national security advisor. These individuals are closely connected to the president's original home base in New York. They tend to be fairly moderate, but they also tend to be fairly, well, kleptocratic. They don't quite understand how the government works, and they are more than willing to bend the government to their will if they need to. Scaramucci, a former Goldman Sachs investor, is absolutely a part of this New Yorker group, but they are not alone. There are also the Bannonites, the Nationalists, those who follow Steve Bannon and his closest ally, Stephen Miller, formerly one of Jeff Sessions' He's now promoted to a position where he can, well, write things like the Muslim ban that took effect not too long ago. Outside of the Bannonites, we have the X R N C rnc members, Republican National Committee, essentially those loyal to Reese Priebus. Sean Spicer was a major member of this faction. He's gone now, pushed out by the New Yorkers. Finally, my favorite group, the Axis of Adults, the grown-ups in the administration. Talking, of course, about the Secretary of State Tillerson, Secretary of Defense Mattis, Secretary of Homeland Security Kelly, National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster, and CIA Director Mike Pompeo. They, like the RNCers and the Bannonites, are losing the battle for the President's very limited attention span against the New Yorkers, and, of course, the President's own mercurial, ever-changing whims. It is against this background that our beloved Spicy has fled. What will become of him? Will he hide under a rock in shame? Will he end up with his own show on Fox News? God only knows, but I will tell you this. Spicy, get some help. Talk to someone. You are the literal definition of the word pathetic in that your life seems so awful, I actually feel bad for you, even though I shouldn't. I mean, I still objectively hate you, but even I feel bad for you. Go somewhere where there's fresh air, somewhere where you can be happy. Heck, uh, go to Disneyland. No one will notice you there. They'll just assume that you're malfunctioning animatronics. Well, the Affordable Care Act repeal failed, and then after it was done failing, it failed again, and then it failed a third time, and then they talked about it failing a fourth time and decided the chance for failure was too high, so they didn't do anything about it. Mitch McConnell kind of looks like a butt now, huh? He, like everyone else in this government, has been sucked into the vortex of toilet stink that is the Trump administration. We are trapped on this flight, and unless we figure out how to turn it around, nothing's going to be good for anyone involved. Mitch McConnell had great dreams of successfully passing a new health care plan. That's never going to work. Donald Trump doesn't know how to guide that principle through. If Jeb Bush was president, this thing would have passed. If Mitt Romney was president, this thing would have passed. If Marco Rubio, if Ted Cruz, if it was any other quote-unquote Republican president, this thing would have sailed through the United States Senate. But Donald Trump is really, really bad at his job, so it's just going to keep failing until McConnell can figure out a way to bribe enough people to vote for it. Don't hold your breath. In an interview, the president said that he thought that health care should cost about $12 a month, which backs up an earlier interview where he claimed he thought it should cost about $15 a month. Donald Trump believes that total health care costs paid by the American people are between $12 and $15 a month, which, in a layperson wouldn't be all that shocking. After all, not many Americans actually know how much their health care costs because most have their health care paid by their employer. But Donald Trump has supposedly been working on this for the last six months with the members of the Senate. Something makes me think that Donald Trump has been catching up on his sleep during those meetings, if he attends them at all. This week, the official Twitter account for the Women's March, that organization that rallied people against Donald Trump's agenda in the first days of his presidency, sent out a happy birthday message to one Asita Shakur, a convicted cop killer, a terrorist who's been linked to a number of legal activities, who's a fugitive from American justice living in communist-controlled Cuba now. She holds the distinction of being the first woman on the FBI's list of the top 10 most wanted terrorists in the United States of America. And, of course, the Women's March tweeted her a happy birthday. This horrifying event was first brought to my attention by Jake Tapper of CNN. He, the professional thorn in the side of Donald Trump, when he tweeted out that the Women's Rights March had celebrated the first woman to be on the list of top ten most wanted terrorists, he asked if anyone on the progressive left would be condemning this message. One of the leaders of this organization, Linda Sarsour, responded that Jake Tapper, by attacking the Women's March, had joined the ranks of the alt-right, which would be funny if Linda Sarsour wasn't so stupid. I've done some digging into this woman, and she seems like a genuinely awful pile of human trash but I have seen no condemnation of her. Which brings us to the thing that really makes me upset about this, the left's disquieting ability to forgive terrorism if they believe that individual is fighting for a just or worthy cause. See also Oscar Lopez Rivera, cause celebre not too long ago. Oscar Lopez Rivera led a terrorist organization that blew up several buildings in Chicago and killed an awful lot of people in the name of Puerto Rican independence. He never apologized for that. He was offered a pardon by Bill Clinton. If he only repented, he refused He was recently released from prison, and he was rewarded by getting to be the Grand Marshal at the first float of the Puerto Rican Day Parade here in New York City. This is troubling. You want to know how the right so easily portrays the left as a bunch of crazy people? Because there's a lot of crazy people on the left, and if y'all don't get your act together, well, you're going to lose another election. Let's not have that happen. On the saddest horror of the week, John McCain appears to be very, very ill, as a brain tumor the same kind that killed Ted Kennedy. This is, well deeply distressing. I voted for John McCain in 2008. I would happily vote for John McCain for president again, even in his weakened condition. He's much better than what we've got right now. McCain has served his country and quite frankly deserves much better than this, but he is a fighter. If we're taking bets, John McCain versus cancer, I'm betting on John McCain, and I'm also advising cancer to leave town quietly on the first train in the morning. Donald Trump hit on the president of France's wife, which is awkward for everyone involved. Here's something I've wanted to talk about for a while. The current president, President of France, Macron, his wife Brigitte, um, was, uh, one of his teachers when he was 16 and they had an affair? I- in essence, the First Lady of France is Mary Kay Letourneau. The similarities there are thorough, except Mary Kay Letourneau's little, um, intimate friend never became the President of America. I mean, America would never put someone that inexper- uh, Attorney General Sessions put forward a memo encouraging local police departments to engage in a practice known as civil forfeiture, even when the state that they are in has outlawed the practice. For those of you who don't know what civil forfeiture is, it's a practice by which police departments can essentially seize private property from anyone if they suspect that that property has been used in the commission of a crime. So for instance, let's say you own a house and you rent out a room to someone who... Maybe, unbeknownst to you, is dealing drugs. The local police department can take your house away from you, never give it back, and then sell it to someone else for cold hard cash. It is a repulsive, unconstitutional idea that Jeff Sessions is now encouraging people to use. Yeah. Well, the clock on the wall indicates it's time for us to take a break for a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Hoo <laughs> hoo! And so we come to the outrage of the week. This week, it is a tie between an interview Donald Trump gave in the New York Times and the spiraling horror that is the investigation into the president's ties to Russia. Let's start with the New York Times interview, which will lead in nicely to the horror that is Russia. The president decided to give some fake news to the number one fake news organization, The New York Times. Some of the things he said to them were just goofy. He said President Macron of France loved holding his hand, which I think is a reference to the extended handshakes the two of them have. He said Napoleon, quote, finished a little bit bad. Bit of an understatement. And he got Napoleon and Napoleon the Third confused at one point, which made me very, very angry. He claimed that the Prime Minister of Japan's wife, who was seated next to him at a banquet at the G twenty, didn't speak any English. Um She speaks perfect English. So there's lots of goofy stuff. But there were also some, uh, terrifying parts. Terrifying? Are we going to use terrifying, guys? Yeah? Let's start with what he said about Jeff Sessions. Jeff Sessions has not had a good week. Moments before I began recording this podcast, Jeff Sessions was revealed to have lied before the Senate. Now, normally this would be considered, uh, perjury. But we'll see how things go. Jeff Sessions apparently talked campaign issues... With the Russian ambassador to the United States of America, something he had vehemently denied multiple times. At least, that's how it started out. Much like Donald Trump Jr.'s story of his meetings with the Russians, Jeff Sessions's story keeps evolving. First, he blurted out during his confirmation hearings that he had never met with any Russians during the campaign. Then, he revealed he had met with the Russian ambassador at least once, but it was in his capacity as a senator, not as a member of the Trump campaign. Then he's decided maybe uh, it was two times. Maybe there was a third meeting at a campaign event, but he can't remember. He can't remember anything. There could have been lots of other meetings with individuals from Russia. He doesn't keep accurate notes of when he meets with foreign nationals. And now there are intercepts collected by the intelligence community that show the Russian ambassador bragging to Moscow about how he already talked about campaign issues with Sessions. But frankly, the revelation that he may have lied under oath isn't the worst thing to happen to Jeff Sessions this week. In that interview, Donald Trump claimed that, quote, Sessions should have never recused himself. If he was going to recuse himself, he should have told me before he took the job and I would have picked somebody else. If the president only knew you were going to follow the law, he wouldn't have appointed you to enforce the laws. I have half a mind to think that these intercepts leaking to the Washington Post may have been an act of the White House to give them an excuse to fire Jeff Sessions because Trump is furious that Sessions recused himself from the Russia matter because if Sessions doesn't recuse himself, you don't get any independent Mueller investigation and Trump needs that commission to stop toot sweet. So Sessions, Sessions is in a lot of trouble. Rod Rosenstein, his second-in-command, is also in trouble. Donald Trump apparently insulted Rosenstein in this interview by claiming he was from Baltimore and that there are very few republicans in baltimore Uh, rod rosenstein's from pennsylvania he served as the u.s attorney from baltimore but he was born in pennsylvania still baltimore not a lot of republicans there in donald trump's diseased mind that means well rod rosenstein's out to get him too we're fast reaching the point where the president of the united states will have divided everyone in the government into allies and enemies the last time that happened in full was richard nixon The last time we got close was during the Clinton impeachment hearings, and even then we managed to pull back from the precipice relatively quickly. When it comes to the now infamous Trump Jr. meeting about quote-unquote adoption, Donald Trump said he quote, "...didn't know nothing," unquote. That's right, he pulled the double negative. But, if anything bad happened, it was just quote, "...standard political stuff," unquote. Donald Trump seems to think that every organization is run like his company, that is to say, poorly and with an enormous heaping load of corruption. The president cannot imagine a world in which other people would follow the rules because in Donald Trump's mind, he is the best of humanity. And if he's willing to lie, cheat, and steal to get what he wants, then everyone has to be willing to lie, cheat, and steal. There can be no morals. There can be no fear of getting caught because Donald Trump doesn't have either of those things. It's going to make for a really toxic brew as time goes on. And heck, it has already. But here's where we get... The really unpleasant stuff. See, Donald Trump said in this interview that if the independent counsel led by former FBI director Robert Mueller was going to look into his finances, his personal finances, his tax returns, real estate dealings, money going in, money going out, he would consider that, quote, a violation of what the special counsel is supposed to be doing. We know, thanks to the New York Times, that Mueller is looking into Trump's finances, potentially money laundering, potentially even more aggressive corruption. Trump is laying a groundwork to fire the independent counsel, and barring firing the independent counsel, he's looking at ways to discredit it. The word has come out that Trump's lawyers are looking at ways to discredit the investigators on this committee. They're looking into their personal backgrounds. They're trying to find dirt on them, which uh, sounds like obstruction of justice to me. But heck, what isn't obstruction of justice these days? Am I right? (laughs) Oh, God. (sighs) All of this loops us back around to the big news that started this week. And God has this week seemed long. But what started this week off was the revelation that Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin had a second secret off the record meeting about. Well, I have no idea. Neither does anyone else in the government. Donald Trump did not have any other Americans present. There was just Vladimir Putin, a Russian translator, and Donald Trump. Trump claims this hour-long talk centered largely around adoption, which, (laughs) amazingly enough, is the exact same thing that Donald Trump Jr. claimed his meeting with the Russian ambassador was about before he had to admit it was about an effort to collude with the Russian government to destroy Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. Coincidentally, mere days after Trump and Putin had this meeting, Trump decides to cancel a CIA program to support rebels against the Assad government in Syria, the Assad government that Putin has a vested interest in propping up. Uh, But don't draw a connection between those two events. I'm sure I'm just being paranoid or, you know right you would think that that would be the end of all of this that there's no possible way there could be more news about trump and russia this week well you would be wrong you see the united states government just handed down an enormous fine against exxon mobil for violating sanctions against the putin regime in russia That is to say, they did work in Russia that was illegal under American law due to sanctions that had been placed on that country. The CEO of ExxonMobil, when this illegal business was done with Russia, was the current Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson. I mean, what should we expect? Putin gave Tillerson an Order of Friendship medal back when he was the CEO of Exxon. So not only is the president compromised, but so is one of the leaders of a faction I described earlier in this episode, Axis of Adults. That's right, even the adults have been drawn into the airplane toilet stink that is Donald Trump. If any of you wanted, you know, hit me with a car, I don't think I'd object too much. I mean, I'd be upset, but it can't be much worse than just being alive and paying attention to the news. Well, hey, Let's try and reverse this all, and pay attention to some good news for a minute, shall we? I'm a New York Mets fan, so let's start with some news about the New York Mets. This past week, New York Mets playing the St. Louis Cardinals. A foul ball was hit, and a fan in the stands made a pretty impressive one-handed left-hand catch of that foul ball. Everybody gave a little bit of a cheer, and then they stopped. Because the Jumbotron showed that that fan in question was New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. And as soon as the fans in the stadium realized that the much-loathed New Jersey Governor is the one that caught the ball, they booed him, and they yelled things, and they cursed. Oh, Met fans, I love you so much. So very, very much. On a more serious good news note, Donald Trump has announced a new ambassador to Russia. That's right. Hold your breath. I'm talking about Donald Trump and Russia in the same sentence, and it's in the good news section of the podcast. You see, he's picked John Huntsman as the ambassador to Russia. Now, I love John Huntsman. He's the former governor of Utah. He served as Barack Obama's ambassador to China. He's a Republican with a reputation as a moderate, someone willing to reach out across the aisle and make deals. He ran for president in 2012. I gave him money, so I'm not entirely uh, unbiased in this affair. But John Huntsman is about as good as Donald Trump is going to get an ambassador to Russia. He's already accustomed to working with semi-hostile powers, and he actually stands a chance of getting appointed by the Senate as an ambassador to a country that Donald Trump has uh, shady relations with. It's a good pick. It's probably the only pick Donald Trump had to make. Although, I will say this when the Trump administration sent out that press release, uh, they did spell his name wrong. So there's that. Well, let's move on to our final segment how to look smart. This week. This is the time of the show where I give you a little prediction of the week's events so that you can try and go around the office and look like not an enormous idiot. Here's what I'm going to tell you for this week. This week, Jared Kushner, president's son in law and close advisor and leader of that New York faction in the White House, is going to be testifying before Congress about all sorts of shady dealings, about the Russia affair, about everything. Near and far, Kushner this week had to update his financial disclosure form. You see, it seems that he lost one hundred million dollars beneath the couch cushions and forgot to tell the government it existed. Kushner's hearing should be, uh, interesting. Look for details of it to leak to the press. Well, I would assume before the testimony even starts, it's gonna be uh intense. Additionally, Senator Grassley of Iowa said that Donald Trump Jr. will testify before his committee. Even if he doesn't want to, he'll subpoena Donald Trump Jr. Heck, he threatened to send U.S. Marshals after him. I want to be clear, Chuck Grassley's a Republican. A Republican senator is threatening to send U.S. Marshals after a Republican president's son. That's a big deal. We'll see how far that goes. (laughs) Well, that's it for this week's Republican in Exile. A special thanks to my producer Jonathan, and to Acast. Remember, Acast for all your podcasting needs. Acast making good stories great. If you would like to contact us, we are r i e podcast at gmail, r i e podcast on Twitter, and Republican in Exile on Facebook. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, queries. Send them to me, email us, send me a tweet God, I hate that phrase Send me a Facebook message I will respond to your utter madness with utter madness of my own Much like last week, I'm going to be guesting on Hailing Frequencies this week So go ahead and look that up Star Trek, The Next Generation Me talking about things that make me happy instead of angry It's a, an enormous switch Hailing Frequencies, wherever fine podcasts are podcasted Hey, you want to write it to review? iTunes. Give us five stars. Use the word mellifluous somewhere in there. Until next week, try not to die.